Hello and welcome back to Switch the Ball. We're back today with our thirteenth episode. As as always, joined by Paul, but got a very special guest on today. One of our good friends, Andrew Patterson, is going to be on today talking to us about what it's like to do a scholarship in America. Well, a football scholarship, shall I say? Um, so, how are we, lads? It's been hard. Not too bad. Not too bad. How's it guys? I'm good. Bad, mate. Same, same shite every day, mate. I think if we see this every podcast, we come on, man. There's actually <laughs> not, nothing to talk about, is there? Same pish. I'm uh, excited for Andrew to uh, get his hybrid American-Scottish accent out there. Into the <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, no, it's no as bad as what it was a couple of years ago to be filmed, man. The, the Scottish nah. is back. Uh, again, no, the, the Scottish is not, back. Not quite, not quite as bad when I'm talking to you. Nah. Uh, just when you're talking to all the wee birds over there, is that what it is? <laughs> the one that caught me was, um, was trash. I think that's when we knew it was all downhill. <laughs> you, you hadn't been out there long, and you hit it with the eye, I just flung it in the trash. And I was like, fresh, man. <laughs> no, the one for me was, um, yeah. I, I think it was the first year, the first time you came back, and uh, you were like, oh, I got a pair of cleats. And I was like, it's a pair of fucking boots, mate. I'm fucking mad, Aye. Aye, you definitely get submerged in it over here for sure. Aye. Ah, see, yeah, I know it's a wee American twang there, man. I noticed that. Nah, for sure. I'll be getting it, for sure. Right, but we'll get, we'll get started right away, right? Um, obviously, what, uh, I think we've been wanting to have you on for a wee bit to kind of get a, a bigger insight into what it's actually like to do the scholarship. So, just starting off, um, what was actually the attraction of going and doing the scholarship? Obviously, I think it was after we finished school. What was your actual thinking behind it in, when you first put thought into it? Um, when I first kind of thought about it, it was kind of down to still wanting to play football as well mm-hmm. as having like my backup plan ready. Because I felt like either I was going to give up on football and start a mm-hmm. job or kind of pursue football. But I thought at least with a scholarship, I could still kind of keep my hand in both sides of it and at least keep doing both until one played out better than the other and go from there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just kind of want to keep my options as open as I possibly could. Yeah. How did you actually like find out about it at first? Because I think, see, for me, when I like, always, it always kind of pops up on Facebook. Like, see, back in the day when I was kind of like looking at it, always used to pop up on Facebook. How did you actually like, um, find out about it? I think it was actually one of the tournaments we played in. Um, I can't even think which team it was. It might have been. Erskine I think it was one of the tournaments we were in and mm-hmm. it was one of the scouts that were walking around and I guess he was handing out like these like pamphlets to people and I hand- mm-hmm. he handed one to my dad and he always held on to it and then just one day I came across it and then I looked into it and I kind of ran past and my dad had knew um, of one of the kind of Aberdeen coaches uh, mm-hmm. like the youth teams and he had mentioned oh. that he had a few boys that went out there and done it and it was a good opportunity so at that mm-hmm. point, then I kind of started looking more and more into it, and I thought it was nothing. It's not going to hurt me for trying it and just see how it goes. I get it a bash. Yeah. Um, so did you have to see the guy that was kind of handing the pamphlets? So was he the guy you kind of had to get in contact with first? Like, how did you actually like, get to the process of like, like getting the ball rolling? Like, what, what did you have to do? Well, I didn't end up going with the company that he was representing. Um, originally, when he'd handed it out, I'd researched their company. But then when I'd searched like, US scholarship companies to get you out there, a whole list of them had come up. And I'd orig- I then went through uh, 
it's called First Point USA, and it's run mm-hmm. by Andrew Andrew Keane, and he he's a uh, he's run that it's his company. He started up and yeah, so went in contact with them, and you set up your first kind of consultation, and you go in and meet the team that will kind of be working with you, and there's everybody from like your you have to set up a profile, you have to go and uh, take your exams because there's like two American exams that you have to take. There's an ACT and SAT, mm-hmm. um, which are both kind of like entrance type exams. It's kind of similar to like the exams we have at like finals and stuff like that. It's the same kind of concept. Oh, my, my ass would collapse. Didn't but, I'm looking. <laughs> so did, was that um, all done in Scotland? But did they have like a base yeah. somewhere in Scotland? Yeah, it was all done in like Glasgow, just off a of whole street, I'm sure. Um, and they did all their testing and stuff like that. And you can take the test as many times as you want, but obviously it costs money to do it. So um, so you take your test, and once you have a score high enough, which they had requirements of what it was, um, once you meet that requirement, then they can start working on your profile and then getting like video foot- footage, pictures, training. People come out to your games when your team's playing. Sometimes they'll reach out to your coaches and stuff like that and just try and get a kind mm-hmm. of full round picture of you to build up a profile. And oh, they right. have this national database for coaches across the United States that so they can come in and access it. And different scouts can come in and view it. And they might put in, on the coach's end, they might put in, they want a goalkeeper who's over six foot. He weighs a certain amount of weight. And they would then pull up all these different players who fit that category. And then I think that's really interesting, by the way, because... I would have never thought like they'd uh, had this like big database like like you're saying like see in terms of what you're saying about the agencies as well like there's quite a lot of them I'm, I'm trying to think how do I put this like are, are like some are they all kind of like similar or is there like one agency it's like the kind of top one and then there's like ones that you're kind of like mm, why maybe avoid them at house what's it in terms of like the agencies I don't know of any that you should avoid, um, but I know that the one that I went through, First Point USA, they are, I think, rated the number one in, I don't know if it's the world or Europe, of bringing people out, because they're based all over the world. They've got like, bases in like India and things like that. They've got places all over where they bring people to like, the US and other. they'll put people from the US to other countries also. It's not just sending people out there, it's vice versa. If you get uh, people in the US who want to come to the UK to play. Yeah. Um, yeah. So see... How do they set up your... So see how you say you need to send video clips and all that? Do they come out and do that for you? Or do you need to, you need to like, build all that stuff up yourself? It's a bit of both. Um, I, I did... I recorded my games as well, or my dad had recorded my games for me as well as they had come out as well. And I'd, as I'm a goalkeeper, I had like one-to-one goalkeeping training with John Hillcoat, and uh, like ex-pro goalkeeper, and um, I trained with him. So they'd come out and like watch me training as well. We did specific like training drills that would kind of show certain attributes of what I have to show these other coaches. Um, so we do training drill specific to that to kind of show my strengths mm-hmm. as well as they would also come out to our games because really they could come out and watch say 10 of your games but in those 10 games you could have an off game you could get humped you could be against a really good team you could be against a really bad team where you've got nothing to do so they could just be watching you standing there doing nothing or getting absolutely hammered all day so it's mm-hmm. 
So it's always good to do your own as well because they're only going to come out X amount of times. So at least if you've got a full kind of portfolio of everything that you've done, then they can, what they'll do is and they'll pick apart those videos and find the good bits to showcase to put like a hour long or two hour long video together that these coaches mm-hmm. can then go view. So seeing that, seeing that portfolio, do you like see but like within yourself, like, do, do you need to put down like what you think your strengths and weaknesses are or is it, is it kind of stuff like that or? Uh, it's not. It's not quite like they'll go. Oh, okay, he's good at cross balls. He's good with goal. Nothing like that. But they uh-huh. they'll highlight it in the video. They'll have sections where it will show. Uh, it'll maybe show like they'll have it highlighted where it'll be like cross balls, and then they'll show like maybe twenty minutes of me or ten minutes of me coming and for like corners, crosses, free kicks, things like that. They'll show me coming out and collecting the ball. Uh-huh. Um, where it might be like organization, it might show me like setting up walls, setting up for free kicks. Like shouting to the team, getting them organised, things like that. Um, yeah. Go kind of like that. So it's like more like highlighted throughout the video in like sections where it'll be like that rather than them saying, "Well, he's good at this, good at that, and good at that." Well, you don't want to restrict it to say those three things mm-hmm. that you're good at because they might say, "Well, is that all he's good at?" So yeah. you don't want to then put off other coaches. Mm-hmm. See, in terms of obviously, you're saying you have to set the exams with the SETs and that. How how did you actually find them? Were they were they quite hard? No, that if you just type it, I think I end up just typing it in. They gave me a website to go on, and you type it in for like Glasgow. They have them all over the country, but you type in Glasgow, and then it'll pull up the different dates and times that you can do it. And they have them in like blocks where like mm-hmm. usually it's like October through December is like a very kind of busy time for it because a lot of people are trying to go out like end of January February time for the start of the off season. Mm-hmm. Um, and getting for school like, towards the end of January. Uh, see, in terms of um, just moving on to that point, like, see, I, I think you you'd said to me before, like, you actually had to go and do like trials, like, like not like, yeah. not like a camp, but like actually go and do trials. Um, how did you find that going and doing that? Was there like quite a lot of boys there? Yeah, I think if I remember c- correctly, it was. I think there was about. 200 to 250 boys there um, and they they had us down at uh, Tory Glen in the yeah. indoor facility as well as outdoor we kind of switched in and out um, I think my kind of trial date was kind of the middle of December or thereabouts and there's actually there's there's like your main trial and then there's a showcase mm-hmm. with your trial it's over pretty much half a day where they'll have you kind of warm up train for a little bit get ready we'll put you into some kind of drills just to kind of work on your footwork and you've got coaches and ex-players and a couple of ex-professionals who are in there taking notes of each player and just walking around and getting a feel for people to see do they actually have what it takes to be out there and play mm-hmm. and all the people who have been there have either been out in the US or played in some form of kind of profession and football mm-hmm. um, so it's a bit nerve-wracking but it's not any different to having a decent size kind of crowd come out to one of your games. It's not right. any different. Well, there's going um, to be a point. That, um, Sorry, Paul, you go. I was just going to say, was that organised by the, the first point USA people or not? And then yeah, so every, today, everything's run, run through them. Yeah. And what happens if they deem you no good enough? Do they just say, look, go and try somewhere else kind of thing? Or? So kind of how it works is, okay, like I said, they do the kind of training session for... 40, 45 minutes at the start, then they'll get into like small sided games where it's maybe like six a side. Mm-hmm. 
then I'll expand it a little bit and do like eight, ten, and then it'll eventually get up to a full size game on the full pitch. And then they'll kind of, they have it all split into teams where it was like a red, black, blue, green kind of thing, and they'll have it set up into like four separate teams, and we'll all play against each other in kind of shorts. I think it was like thirty minute games, um, or thirty minute halves of the game. And then after they've kind of evaluated us for the full day, they'll kind of take a break. And while we're on our break, they'll be kind of going through a lot of the players. And um, they'll then bring us back in. And then they go through a list. And they just, I think they just went down the list and named people. Mm-hmm. Or, I think, or I can't remember if they named us or they read our numbers off our shirts. And if that was your number or your name that was called, then they said... Um, you have to go sit at the side, and then whoever was left, they were basically just saying that you aren't quite cutting it yet. Like, mm. go ho- go back, go train, kind of improve on it. And they said, if you want like a more in-depth evaluation of how you did and what you need to work on, we're more than happy to sit down with you and kind of tell you what the points that we have on our kind of sheet. And then they would talk to those people and let them know what they need to work on, and then they can come back and try again later. See, so just on that point. Um if you're saying like kind of boys would go and like sit aside and the boys kind of still standing there, or obviously the ones that didn't cut it, was there boys there that like found it hard to accept that? Was there ones that just kind of like, nah, I'm not accepting this. Like I should be, uh, basically basically thinking they're better than what they the coaches think now. Yeah, yeah. There, there was there was actually a lot of those, um, and a lot of kind of like prima donnas. There are very much. Uh, Spat the dummy up. <laughs> it was. Uh, it was. It was all very I much. Would be, man. I'd be What's that? It was all. <laughs> <laughs> it was all. I'd they were very good skillfully on the ball, but yeah, they were very good at like skillfully on the ball. But it was all. Mm-hmm. They had no play to their game. It was literally all they did was like skills, and they'd get caught up on the ball. They wouldn't lift their head up. Uh-huh. They weren't a good team player, and it was just like really basic stuff that you kind of usually get out the way at a younger age, and. Aye. Yeah, yeah, they can do skills, but that doesn't get you far when you're playing against good people who can just cut that out. Uh, that's what I was going to ask you as well. Like, see, like, I'll try and say two points here. Like, one, did you feel like you had a lot of pressure on you to like kind of stand out? And two, see, kind of, I know you're a goalkeeper, but did you kind of find it hard to kind of stand out a wee bit? Because I know this is just my opinion, but I would, I would say maybe be easier for say like a somebody who plays like a number 10 for them to stand out more than a keeper could say and if you're on a team right and all the boys like are in your team they are pumping their team would it kind of be hard for you to stand out as well yeah it was um, one of the teams that I was in uh, actually had a, re- a really good uh, team and the defenders in front of me were nothing like I played with before mm. Um they commanded everything, anything outside the 18, they took care, took care of it. Um, you just have to be very vocal. So, Because if you're quiet and kind of shy away from it and just sit back, then you're just going to disappear into the background. Yeah. But the pressure was definitely on to keep talking to everybody, make sure everyone is organised. So at least if you're not actively having the ball in your hands or at your feet, then you're at least being vocally in charge and letting everybody know, like, there's a man on, like, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and at least if you're more vocal your defenders will trust you more so they might they'll either play the ball back to you because it's very much possession wise very good like, it's not like ah, that's what I was going to ask as well like, see, league. see the coaches did they like kind of did they encourage you to do it like kind of like play with the ball at your feet a bit more like did they try and ask you to do stuff like that 
Yeah, um, the the first point because they when we did our teams, they split us up and we did have coaches, so they were coaching from the side. It wasn't like they just told us to go kick a ball around for a couple hours. They were coaching us, um, so they were highlighting things and like do this better, pick up the speed, cut the crap. But yeah, um, a lot of people, you could tell some people did definitely let the pressure get to them, um, mm. but. If that's the case, if if you're going to struggle with a, only a few coaches watching you, you're you're never going to make it when you've got a few hundred people or a few thousand people at no. a college or a university watching you, and a lot of them are going to go there drunk and shout abuse at you. So it's like mm-hmm. if you can't handle a couple of coaches no. giving you hints and like helps, mm-hmm. then yeah, you're you're not going to cut it anyway. See, just doing that as well. Can I? I don't know if Paul maybe want to ask something before we move on for the trials kind of thing, but was there was there players there who you thought, Jesus Christ, they are rotten? And was there players there who you just thought they were an absolute joke? They were just far too good to even be, like, even there in the first place? They they do try to... I'm trying to remember, because I'm pretty sure you have to submit something in the beginning where I think they do come out and watch you mm-hmm. without recording you or anything. Like they'll have a coach come out to your team and watch you play. And they'll either see, like, okay, there's some potential there, so let's bring, bring them along to the trial. I'm sure that's what happened. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a case of anybody who paid for their services and then just turned up. It wasn't a case like that. Mm-hmm. And kind of back to what you said, is there like certain uh, companies that you wouldn't trust? I did hear of companies that would accept anybody and their dog that would turn up because they're receiving a check on the other end of it. Because uh-huh. they obviously get paid for their time and their money and their services and all the stuff that they do to promote you. So uh, they do get paid. It's like anybody that's a job. So there's some that pay out, charge you a lot more and they don't do as much for you. And they're just basically, you've not got a chance of making it at any good college or university. You'll just be going to some really bad team that gets humped every week and uh, you're never going to grow. You're, you're, if you had any confidence, it would be sh- completely shot. Mm-hmm. Some teams I played against and you put like an eight, nine, ten past them and you can just tell that their team and the way it's run, it's just, Oh, yeah, this weren't gonna this weren't gonna cut it. Um she just there was a point I was gonna ask you and this fucking went right out my head. That's embarrassing, man. <laughs> I can't even remember what I was gonna say to you. Um <laughs> but I'll move on to the next point and might might come back in my head. But um who was it that actually contacted you to tell you like you were successful? And like um, for th- I'm trying to th- uh it was it was through the first point team. There was a couple of people that I dealt with, and I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But I know one of them was also Andrew Keane, not the main guy who ran the company. He was pretty hands on with his company, although there was thousands and thousands of people that came through his company. He was very hands on, and he was happy to give you his number out. And if you had any questions or needed any help or anything like that, he was always willing to kind of do that for you. And even mm-hmm. to this day. He's he's he reached out not too long ago, probably about a year or so ago, and was just asking how things were going and things like that. He he said he'd saw some stuff on Facebook and saw that I was still living out here and wanted to know how I was doing. Mm-hmm. So he's very much Charlie, still I like stuff like that. On. People like see people actually right. like still have an interest. Like they might know you say about five six years. Five, five, I can't even get words out now, man. Fucking hell. Uh, <laughs> oh, here we go, man. Same every week. The stuff up. Um, no, I like that, but like obviously five six years ago, that's when you kind of twenty fourteen. That's when you first started doing it, and somebody's actually still showing 
like, because the way I see it is like they've obviously got a duty of care. Like you've, you've, that's their agency. So imagine they didn't really give a fuck about you. Then their reps probably going to go down as well. Like, it probably yeah. it does reflect badly on them. Um, but see on that, like, see in terms of the college you picked going to, did you have the choice of colleges? Like, did they give you a, like, a big list and say, like, or is that a case of they, would they advise you to pick a certain one and say, oh, look, we think you might be suited to this college, this team, or how, how did that actually come about? They they invited me and my parents along down to their office and they sat us down and they uh, put out, they showed me the universities and colleges that had inquired about me and were interested in offering me a scholarship or inviting me out there to play on their team or have a part in their team. Mm-hmm. And then they had a separate list where they showed me the, the colleges that had offered me like a decent amount of money to go there, mm-hmm. but as in to cover the expenses of it. And then they had ones who had inquired but didn't have any scholarships available. So right. basically they offered that if you were going to pay for the, the school and to play and everything, then you could still make it into their team, but they just don't have any scholarships available because... Mm-hmm. These colleges go off a budget. At least most of them go off of a reasonably tight budget because when I first went out there, yeah, football was just kind of kicking off because the World Cup in America did pretty good. So a lot of people that that few years build up to me going out there were like writing on uh, trying to get know more about football. Like people who had no clue what it was and had never watched it, they were trying to get involved in it. So I see that point as well. That way. I think Paul like mentioned it as well. Like, was it kind of was it popular there? Because like in terms of like American football, like, I can only really imagine it getting bigger after Beckham went there. Like, I, I don't think it would have maybe I go to the heights it would have. Like, if, say like Beckham, Robbie Keane, that did they actually? Well, I'm about to ask me this later, Jack. Don't answer right. that with no answers. We'll come right, to that sure. later. <laughs> we'll save that. <laughs> do you know what happened? We'll end up just going fucking here, there, and everywhere. Yeah, we'll see it a timeline. <laughs> uh, obviously just going back to the colleges thing like see all these colleges the first point then send your portfolio or them for them to have a look at first before they even like come to a decision or will they kind of will they know about you at all or is that the database that thing uh, it, it, it's already on the database so for them to even know about me they would have had to went in and saw my video footage and saw me and there's like a picture of me it'll have all my kind of facts height weight mugshot <laughs> Like if you're right footed, left footed, both kind of they'll have all that kind of idea, and then they'll have like your exam scores for your SAT and ACT. They'll have all your previous teams for the last like four or five years, how long you played there, if you won any trophies, any accolades, all that kind of. They'll have all that stuff on there. Oh, I've remembered um, that point. Sorry, but an Andrew, I'll let you. I'll let you finish in that before I come back in. But um, so they'd have all that on there, so they would then come in and access it, and they'd inquire about you. And then when it comes to the showcase, a lot of these coaches will fly out to London or Belfast or mm-hmm. these kind of big uh, showcase zones and they'll come out for this uh, two-day trial or like mm-hmm. a big two-day showcase where there's cameras. There'll be cameras recording the full games. There'll be Each player will be highlighted on their own um, on these videos. And so if you're playing in game one, and I'm number one on that team, then if it's on my account and on my portfolio and on my profile, it will say, okay, he played in game one, he's number one, and they'll put like a kind of blurb around me to highlight uh-huh. me who I am on the field. Right. And then it will show like, certain good plays where if I make a save or come for a cross or 
certain things like that will highlight that maybe like mm-hmm. 30 seconds to a minute before it and then like a couple of minutes after it and then it'll cut off if it kind of dies down at that point and it'll just kind of have uh-huh. snippets like that throughout it because they don't want to put on an hour and a half game every time you play because that's they're not going to not every coach they don't have time to do that because uh-huh. as much as they're tra- as much as they're trying to recruit you they're still training two or three times a day with the team that they currently have they're still playing in their season they're mm-hmm. playing in their cups and they have school and every- they have all that on top of trying to view profiles and scout players in Right. See, just the point I remember there. Am I right in saying, like, you could tell I'm talking shit here, but do they go off, like, I know you said about the exams, you know, do they go off more of your academic ability or your actual football ability, or is that a mix of both? Because I've, I've heard sometimes they kind of sometimes maybe overlook the football ability and just see kind of how smart they are, like, school wise. It's honestly, it's. Probably between 50-50 and 60-40. They don't want someone who's going to fail out because if you fail your classes or if you even fail one class, you're no longer eligible to play until you pass that so class. So do you, do you have to pass, like, certain, say you've got eight classes, you say that you pass like five or six classes for you to actually play them? You'd have to pass every single one of them. Fucking hell, man. <laughs> be, what are the, what are the classes? I was, I was going to ask this, like, before you go, do you need to write down some, like, it's not like here where you just go and study psychology, is it? So you said it's like five, six classes. What is it you actually yeah. It's It's the same concept as what they have uh, back home. Um, so if you want to be a teacher, you'll go study education and then they'll have the breakdown of all the classes that you have to take to become a teacher. Right. Um, play football on the side as well. Yeah, like, so football. you'll... Yeah, so you'd you'd like train like pre season, you'll train at like four in the morning. You'll go lift weights at four in the morning for an hour, hour and a half. You'll then either go eat breakfast right after that or you'll go home, shower, kinda rest for an hour, then go eat breakfast. Then usually right after breakfast you would have class for anywhere from like nine o'clock, ten o'clock to one or two o'clock in the afternoon. And then usually our mid mid uh night time kinda session is like three to five. And then sometimes they might do like a late session at like seven, half seven at night to eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, See, Paul, I was I was going to ask you, would you would you make that right? Because I was almost kind of like fifty fifty. Because like, see the academic side, like unless I wasn't stupid in school, but I wasn't like the pure brain box. I would have probably thought that I went off in like the the football ability. But see, in terms of like. I like what Andrew said. That, that seems to me like it's like a professional routine. Like it's kind of like setting blocks. Like see that week I spent at Liverpool, it was so professional and it it felt that way. Like what what is your opinion on it, Paul? Like kind of the academic stuff and all that. Like would you be big on that or are you? More it's it's important, but uh, it's important because if you're if you go out there, then the football maybe doesn't work, doesn't quite work out for you long term. Mm-hmm. You you don't. Join, I don't know, even though the American leagues are underneath the MLS, but if you don't get a team, then obviously you need something to fall back on. And the university, uh-huh. are, they're paying for it, aren't they? So they don't want to waste their yeah. time or their money on someone that's just going to fail all their classes. Mm-hmm. So the, the, way look, 50, the way you have to look, the way you have to look at it is that the way they they try to teach you and kind of explain it to you is. Yes, you're going out there to play football for a scholarship, but primarily you're going out there for an education. Mm-hmm. And you get to play football with your education. So without the education, you don't get a scholarship and you don't get to play. But without your football, you can still 
get your education. So regardless, mm-hmm. your education always comes first because if you don't pass your exams or pass your classes, you don't play. Like you are ineligible. She like she just before play. she just before I move on to the point, like asking you what college you picked, was there like kind of friction between like the actual football coaches out there and the teachers? Because I can imagine like some teams the coaches would be like, no, just focus on your football. Then teachers would be like, well, if you don't do well in my class, then you ain't going there. Was there a bit of friction between like kind of teachers and coaches? There was with a couple of my because a couple of the people that are on my teams to the various places I've been, um, some of them weren't the sharpest tool in the shed for sure, and they just came out here with the mindset that they were just going to play football and they would pretty much just glide past in their classes, which wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you go from like your associate's degree to your bachelor's to possibly your master's or anything, like then obviously the classes get increasingly harder and the workload gets heavier. And you have to kind of find that balance in there. Um, but a lot of people had the mindset they were going to come out here, party, have the American dream, play football, get a professional uh, offer off of one of these teams, and then that would be it. Mm-hmm. They would just quit school. Mm. We'll but see you on that as well. It's not like that. Did you see occasions where the players, not, I don't mean just maybe the college you picked, like other ones where a boy would just get pulled out straight away by like, a professional team? And they would. Have you ever seen that before? Not straight away, no. No, no. I've I've played with a couple of the colleges because I've been to three. So the three that I'd been at, only towards like the higher end universities where you'll find somebody who will get scouted by a professional team or by a semi professional team. Um, if you're at kind of the smaller kind of they call them JUCOs, like the junior colleges. Mm-hmm. Then it's bit you need to be top of your game to do that. You you would have had to have slipped through the cracks for these big universities not to have picked you up in the first place. Mm-hmm. But then yeah. you'd have to be on your top of your game to actually succeed to get someone to get noticed. You you have like your you have your regular league throughout the season, and then you have your what they call conference games, which are like your cup games where you go to the national tournament, which is then when it gets like your big scouts from like your mm-hmm. semi-professional, professional. Mm-hmm teams who will come out and they will view you they'll have cameras, they'll have their teams and they'll come out and they'll spend money to get out there Like your your uh, national conferences like the finals will be in like California they'll be in Florida so mm-hmm. I was in Oklahoma so they would like pay for your flights to fly there, they'd pay for your That's hotels close. everything um, but just, again that's, the... it's a long road yeah so you just done the kind of before we move on for the, the education side did you need to choose beforehand what you wanted to study and did that automatically rule out maybe some colleges that you looked at and thought, oh, I want to go there, but actually I can't because they don't offer the course that I want? Yeah, you don't have to have it set in stone, but if you want to be, say you want to do business, you want to get your degree in business, you then can go to an arts college or a college that only offers like the arts because if they don't have the business degree that you want, then what are you going to do? Like go be a music teacher? Like <laughs> if you want to be like, so it does play a part in it. But so what was honestly, more important? Like, lot... For for you, what was more important? Like the educate? Would you rather go to a college or? In general, would do you think people go to colleges based on the football team or based on the 
education that they provide? Um, I would, I would say about ninety eight percent would go because of the football. Yeah, that's what I thought. Was the thing. Yeah, well. but they're not they're not going to completely disregard the fact that if they've got a really bad educational system where you're bound to fail your classes because if you're destined to fail then you're not going to play anyway regardless of how good yeah. the team is. Uh-huh. So it's it's still in there. It's probably not quite as harsh as ninety eight percent, but it's definitely a. You're not going to go to. You're not going to go live your dream of playing football for a really bad team where you're not going to do well. Your team's going to get humped every week. You're not going to. You're not going to catch any headlines anywhere. Nobody's going to want to be paying interest to your team. You're not going to make the national tournaments. You're not going to get that showcase to show your skill. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. So you're not going to go to a really bad team just because of a good education. You're probably going to yeah. be somewhere in the middle and find somewhere who's got a decent education but has a good team or a team that could has potential. Yeah. Uh-huh. See, um, just moving on. So, uh, was it Oklahoma College you picked at first? It was Eastern Oklahoma State College, yeah. So, see, uh, all the options, did you think that was the one that kind of suited you best in? All the, the offers you had? Um, I was between two. There was Lake Tahoe um, and Eastern Oklahoma State College. Mm-hmm. And they'd both offered me scholarships. Eastern had offered me a full scholarship. Basically, they were offering to pay like 90% of what I was. They were covering all my equipment, all my football side of things. And they were covering my food, my stay. And they were paying most of it. I think they paid up to 15 hours worth of classes. So if I, they would pay the first 15, anything else. If I took 18 hours, they would, I would have to pay the three hours myself. Was that expensive um, if you had to pay a bit more? Yeah, they... You get charged essentially like three separate charges for your classes, which is if you're from that state. So if you're from Oklahoma, then you pay an in-state college fee, which is like really cheap for the classes. It might only be like a couple of hundred dollars or a hundred dollars per credit hour. So if your class is three credit hours, you'd only pay like three hundred dollars for that class. Unlikely, but that's just an example. But for internationals, you would pay the in-state out of state and international fees so mm-hmm. their class might only cost 100 per credit hour where mine could cost anywhere from like 8 to 900 dollars per credit hour right. so their, their, semester, their, their semester might only cost them maybe two or three thousand for a full semester where mine might cost me upwards of 12 or 13 thousand fucking hell that's mental it's like yeah. things like that you don't even you wouldn't even think about like looking for the outside in. Like, I, I would have never even thought yeah. like stuff like that would happen. But um just moving on, so you've chose your you've chose your college, um was it hard leaving home? Was how'd you find it? Was it was how was the first few months settling in over there? Um, I think probably more so my mum was more kinda worried and scared about it because I think in the back of her mind she thought that I wasn't gonna go through with it. I think she thought that I wouldn't want to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was excited to go out because I like travelling I, I, I like new experiences and I would like to go out and I knew that was kind of what my dream was that's what I wanted to do and I had my mind 100% set on it so I don't think it had ever crossed my mind not to do it but of course right before you go out obviously it is kind of goodbye for a while to a lot of people like even with yous we kind of had that kind of going away type thing we all had a few drinks and things like that, but I knew I was coming back in four or five months' time, around Christmas time, so it, 
it's not quite like the way it's been as of lately where I've not been home in a few years. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think if I knew if I was leaving and not coming back for three years, then it probably would have affected me differently. But no, um, when I knew I was coming back every four or five months, then it wasn't that big a deal. Did that kind of get you through then? Was there any, like, kind of, as you're saying, like, every four or five months you knew you were coming back? Was there any days, like, that kind of, you were a bit down and you thought, nah, I think I've maybe made the wrong decision here? Or were you always kind of in the mindset that I'm going to be getting home every four or five months? I'm, I'm sticking this out. Probably the first few days I'd moved out there was pretty hard um, because they had sent me the wrong date to travel out on. So I got there like a week before everybody else had even arrived on campus. I'm so sure. it was literally, it was literally me and my coach on campus all day, every day for a week. And I didn't see him very often because <laughs> he's obviously working and getting ready for the season. So it was pretty much just me. And uh-huh. they were, they were actually building a new stadium for like where we were going and it wasn't even ready yet. So, <laughs> I was leaving like I could go kick a ball around. I was literally just stuck on campus walking around and it was like 38 degrees, 39 degrees outside. So he didn't even want to walk about. I was still trying to... <laughs> You'd be fucked yeah. all by the way. <laughs> Mate, I would die. I'd, I'd be in the first plane home, yeah. man. You'd be having your wee calf on, man. Like, that was <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the weather, the weather here is definitely... Ah, it's mental. Like, I was going to ask you what the first day was like, but I think that, that pretty much sums it up because I, I would get there, man, and my ass would be twitching. Uh, I mean, I, I would be pure. If that was me, I'd be pure thinking of it over, like pure tenfold, man. I'd be. Especially if you're only, like, what were you? 18, 19 the, when you went there? 18, yeah. Uh, I'd never travelled on my own before, never flew across the country or fl- made multiple connecting flights, and I had to do all that my first time, and it was. I was okay. It was kind of nerve wracking because you're trying to catch each flight, and there's like an hour in between, and it was it was a long day because a few flights get delayed, one get cancelled, end up becoming like a 37 hour day. I'd been awake since like five o'clock in the morning, and I was still awake come like three four p.m. the following day, and it was just like oh, no. it, was, it was rough, but it wasn't. I didn't mind the travel. I like traveling, so I didn't necessarily mind it, um, but. If you're very shy and kind of kept to yourself and don't want to ask for help or questions and don't want to talk to anybody, you'd be screwed. Uh, you're fucked. Because you're going to miss your flights. You, you're freaking out, trying to find if your connecting flights are cancelled, and it's just... Oh, you can't be vocal. And everything was just going tits up, I'd just end up losing the plot, man. I'd, I'd go off my nut. But see, just the way I am, I'd be freaking the <laughs> fuck up, man. Honest to God. I'd be yeah. shitting But she... Sorry, Paul, you got to say something? I was just calling a money merchant. A bit you, want to be, you want to be in the plane before it takes off? Oh, I know. <laughs> I always get over things, man. Mate, see that? Uh, meanwhile, I got to... Oh, I was going to Prague, man. I think that was my first flight in, like, years, mate. Like, I think Ross has got the picture of me. I'm sitting with my head in my hands with a pint. Just like, no, I can't do this, man. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking freak out. Um, but... <laughs> See as well, Andrew, when you like first went out there, was there, she obviously, boys, you'd uh, done trials with, was there any of them that you kind of, did any of them go to that college, did you know MD, like, before getting there? No, no, no. The college I ended up going to, I didn't, didn't meet MD that I'd previously went with or anything like that. There's, there's hundreds of thousands of universities, like, 
some people already had set in their minds where they wanted to go and people had dreams of where they'd like to go and 99% of them probably didn't go where they were expecting they were going to go but because your dream is to really go to UCLA a university mm-hmm. that's on the beat a university that's built on a beach and they're the one of the number one teams in the country like they're in the highest they're in the highest division they always make like the finals or the semi-finals they've always got like live TV they're on ESPN every weekend mm-hmm. like that's the dream living on a beach going to class playing football going back to the beach like that's the lifestyle but uh, yeah, it's also it's also about sixty it's also about sixty thousand dollars a semester to go there, so not many people go there. Ah, you must have the big bucks, man. What's your massive bank account? Uh, we just maybe going after the football and the, the academical side for a wee bit. Tell me about the lifestyle. What, what was the lifestyle like, man? It must have been what, like compared to Scotland, it must have been like sure night and day. Ah, uh, it's. I'll, kind of, I'll, I'll jump back for a second to explain what Paul was saying about the first day, and it kind of reflects back on what you're saying. Mm. On the first day when I met my coaches from the, at the airport, they picked me up in Tulsa, where I'm based right now, but we were travelling about two hours south, two and a half hours south of here, mm-hmm. and they stopped at Walmart, and I guess it was in like a rough area of Tulsa, and they said, okay, they said, we'll get in, get your stuff quickly, and then we'll get out back to the car, and then we'll leave. And they're like, yeah, there's a, there was someone shot here last week, and someone was murdered the other night, and <laughs> as if as if it was like the the norm. And I was like, all right, <laughs> I'd have been like, that. Yeah, get me the first flight, get me the fuck <laughs> out of here, man. <laughs> but, oh, that's what I'd have been like. The funny, the funny, the funny thing is now, I go to that Walmart all the time, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I don't. Oh my god, you even back it's in the normal level. The what? You're, you're probably not full, man. Hi, Paul. Try and re, like, reset your Wi-Fi or something. Um, I'll, I'll keep continuing. Back. Back. <laughs> uh, uh, kind of what he was saying, though. The, the first day, it was, we went in and they're like, OK, we're going to get your get stuff for your room because I'm assuming you don't have like your bed and stuff like that because you go in a dorm room there's literally just like a a mattress and then your kind of your wardrobe and stuff like that but there's nothing there so you want to get like a mattress protector because you don't know who else has slept on that before you you want <laughs> you want all your all your bed and stuff you want pillows you need to get everything so you went to Walmart and probably dropped a few hundred dollars just on the first day and you're like oh didn't really take that into account really uh, it's one of these things that you kind of think of, but you don't really think of. Mm-hmm. Um, you end up forgetting about it. But um, and then it's like if you want any snacks or something to eat on, because obviously the university was still closed when I got there. Mm-hmm. So I was expecting not to have to pay for food or anything like that when I first got there. So it's just that like you need to kind of take into all these extra considerations that anything you want your room to make kind of more home like, you're going to need to go and buy it or bring it with you. But a lot uh, of that stuff you can't bring in a case anyway, so you need to go buy it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, cool. yeah. So see, um, obviously, you see it on like pure American programs, Netflix and all that, all these mad parties and fucking colleges and all that. Was there <laughs> any of that going on, man? But, but is it actually what you like, what you see on the TV, or is it just is that just a lot of shit? Uh, I'm sure there is some places. Um, I've been to probably one party that was similar to. Probably one of the low-scale movies, nothing like your Project X or anything like that, no. But, I love that, man. <laughs> but 
I've heard of places around the country and you see it on the news where people do throw parties like that, but it's mm-hmm. a rarity. It's not it's not like a common occurrence every Friday, Saturday that okay. people do that. But it was more so when I moved to the bigger universities where you have like your fraternities and sororities and they'll, th- they'll throw parties every other weekend and they'll alternate and they'll have like theme parties like Halloween, Valentine's Day, all that kind of stuff. They'll mm-hmm. have all these parties and yeah, they get pretty wild. But um, so the stuff like that actually happens, so I know I think it obviously does. Like, so see obviously like sororities and all that, like obviously I can only, like people who are only in America, we can only judge it after what we've seen like Netflix or these American TV programs. Is there a lot of that like sororities and all that stuff? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, in Oklahoma, they have OU and OSU, which are the two big, like, football teams uh, related universities, and you'll probably see them on, like, ESPN and stuff if you have the US version. Uh-huh. And they're really big in the US. And um, their sororities and stuff, they have, like, mansions that they have, like, right in front of the university, like, they build up to it. They have, like, 14, 15 bedroom mansions that they all live in. And it's, like, they all drive, like, Porsches and big cars and it's just mm-hmm. like the movies you expect, like the big huge houses, like that is the way it is. Uh-huh. Um, but that's just for like the bigger universities, like the smaller ones, they'll just rent like a house, like four or five of them, six of them will rent a small house close by campus. Uh-huh. Um, but the big universities, they have like set housing, they obviously pay for that they go stay in. Uh-huh. Um, but the, the sororities and fraternities are kind of, I never get involved in it, but uh, I know people who pay out, I've known people who have paid thousands to be in them. Because you don't just like, they have to recruit you and you go through all these processes and they kind of try and weed out the, the weak. But they, you also have to pay a hefty fee because obviously the alcohol, the parties and stuff, that isn't free and the stuff that they do. Because they do like charitable stuff as well. So it's not just mm-hmm. like parties all the time, but all the, all the events and stuff they do cost money. So eat and they have rent and food and everything they have to contribute to. Mm-hmm. So for all all that stuff they have to pay for. So there's some people that pay like three, four, five thousand a semester just to be in a fraternity or a sorority, and then you have all your college fees. It could be upwards of ten, twenty thousand on top of that as well. See, I'd never thought that. I thought it would just be a case of like you might join a fraternity or a sorority, like just going fucking there. I, I wouldn't actually thought like no, you actually have to go here. And, like I, that, yeah. that that probably like see what you're saying there. That would probably take away for the. What's the word I'm looking for? The appeal tape, like, then, like, because obviously if you see it on TV, that you think, oh, that's, that looks fucking class, by the way, like, but if you're actually having to pay money to do that, like, nah, I, I, nah. I, I know a couple of people who said that they'd never get involved in with them, and then eventually they did, but there's a couple of ways you can look at it. The way I saw it is you're essentially buying your friend group <laughs> because you're paying four or five thousand to essentially make friends who are going to be there for probably the rest of your life. Right. But at the same time, you're also making connections because a lot of these people who are in these sororities and fraternities, their families have names that mean something. They carry weight. They right. might be like, their families could be high up businessmen. And if you're both got your business degree, they might pull some strings and get you involved in their company. Or And I know people like that too, where they've been within a fraternity and then they get involved in like a family business and they get pulled in on it. And So it's not just like parties and stuff there's like the school side of it and the the career side of it where people do make they they do look to their future to like how can i make a living how can this benefit me and Mm -hmm. in the u.s if you're in like a well-known fraternity and it has a good reputation or a good sorority and it has a good reputation 
jobs do take that in, in jobs do take that into notice when it's on your resume. Like they'll be like, wow. Me, and some Wait. of them might have actually been in that one. So some of them will go, oh, I went to OU, I was in that sorority, I was in that fraternity. And right. that might actually, that could be the difference between you getting a job and not getting a job. <laughs> like, uh-huh. Honestly. It's, Wait, see, in terms of, um, thank you, it's 21 to drink over there, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, when before you left here, I think you you were old enough to drink. Was it was that because I'd find that long chat I'd be a lot of baby man. Like was it a bit annoying being able to go over there and not be actually go and have a have a drink or anything? Yeah, um, it was like that for a while, but eventually, yeah, people people don't care. It's the same as back home. Uh, <laughs> if you if, if you're not of age and yeah, if there's a huge party on, you're going to be invited to it. It's mm-hmm. the person who's throwing the party's risk because the way they do it in the US is that say there's 50 people at that party and they're all underage, but the person throwing the party is of age, you'll get charged with 50 counts of supplying a minor with alcohol. That's up to $10,000 per person. Aye. So, yeah, that's... Aye, so big risk. Nah, I, wouldn't even, I wouldn't even say that's even worth the risk, man, because if they're over there to your scholarship, then... What's the point even having, like, yeah. nah, there's no even point in putting that in any, any of this at all, but, um... Yeah, I had people Paul, on my team and stuff that had got kicked off, uh, they'd been, like, kicked off the team for a couple of weeks, and they were only allowed to train, mm-hmm. and then they'd actually have an extra training session in, where it'd be, like, sprints, or, like, it'd be, like, pre-season training, so they would have to do that on top of the training we'd have twice a day already, uh, during the season, and they wouldn't have games. So that that definitely kind of scared a lot of people off of like drinking because if you were caught drinking before a game or the night before, they would the managers just wouldn't screw around. They'd just be like, "We're not pay- we're not helping you out here to go drink and party and get drunk and uh-huh. possibly tamper." Oh, that's a fair point, man. Uh-huh. So they just don't take the shit. They just don't take it. They're just like, if you're going to go out and party and get drunk, then. We're gonna make you run until you throw up all the alcohol you drank the night before. <laughs> I fucking hate that man, but I'm no fucking running man. Um but I uh, just one final point in the lifestyle, I think me and Paul talking about it. Uh what were the birds like? Go on, gee gee all the juicy juicy details, man. <laughs> uh, is it is it like um, the the T V again? I, I, I can all refer to that, like pure Netflix and all these American programmes, man. It definitely is when you don't, you don't see the ugly side of it on the TV right enough for the most part, but, uh, you definitely, yeah, you, you, you definitely get caught off guard by it for sure. I wish I could take a picture here because Paul's, Paul's frozen the mask and it's just a smile. <laughs> that's not, that's just the hammer, man. Um, but But yeah, it's definitely, you definitely have the, the skinny blondes and jean shorts and, Blonde hair, blue eyes, that's definitely a thing and a common occurrence, especially in the South. Uh, so, oh, yeah. that, that'd be, I'd be bloody lovely by the way, living there. Especially um, when your, your summer weather lasts from like, sometimes April all the way through to like September, so that's like what they wear from that time frame, so it's uh, definitely, you wear shorts and t-shirt every day for six, eight months of the year, it's definitely nice. a bloody day, even but, when it's like fucking minus four here, I'll just cut a bit of fucking t-shirt and shorts, <laughs> so I'd, I'd fucking suit oh. it and perfectly man. I usually don't mind it, but the weather today where we've got fucking all the snow. Yeah, I'm not necessarily like all all these. Yeah, I wouldn't be wearing shorts and t-shirt and that for sure. Right. Um, but 
Paul's right in UI AG because I'm conscious of like time here. I think probably got about an hour, half an hour to go. We'll, we'll get left. No. Then else you, we'll move on a wee bit. My wife. Ah, your wife. I fuck, mate. You're sound like a pure robot here, man. And you, you're, yeah. you're, you're frozen your face with a pure gun. No, I don't know what you've been up to, mate. Um, but <laughs> ju- just moving on, Andrew. Um, what was the standard actually like? Like, see when you first went to the college, like, well, can I go go off? Not just your first college, like, can I or or if you played in? Aye, but what was it actually standard like? With like, if you're comparing it back to boys you played with back back home, like players you played with in certain teams, like say like Harmony Row, Erskine, and all that. How did the boys in America, like, how did they compare with each other? Um, I'd probably compare it more to Harmony Row, but a lot of people mm-hmm. took it a lot more seriously, and they did go and they'd work out, they'd go to the gym every day at a certain time, they would eat healthy, they wouldn't get drunk, they wouldn't go party from Thursday through Saturday, it wouldn't be like things like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of them took it extremely seriously, and it was a kind of accountability because you'd have your team captain and your vice captain. And basically, it was their job to make sure nobody was going out and partying, drinking, and basically screwing up right before games. Mm-hmm. If you were to do it on like a Wednesday and you weren't playing till Saturday, they'd probably not really care quite as much. Mm-hmm. But unless your coach unless your coach found out, then they'd probably throw you under the bus. But um, oh. yeah, but there was definitely more accountability. The quality was a lot better. Like the communication within the team, it wasn't just a bunch of guys from school playing on a team every other Saturday or Sunday and. You train once or twice a week. It was like you train every single day with each other. You play, you live together, you eat together. So you kind of become like a big family. Um, uh, so I, I think that's yeah. a question I've got in here. Um, right, hold on. Paul's just messaged me. Like, I, Paul's just been kicked off this call, so I'll, I'll be me and you to the end, right? Um, right. That's, I think that's, that was a question Paul's going to ask as well. How often did you actually train and play? So I'm guessing it was training like kind of three sessions a day, then a game that Saturday or Sunday then? Pre-season, it was about two to three times a day. Um, when season was in like full run, you would only train maybe once, maybe twice a day. You would train, you'd always train once a day, but you'd maybe train like you do like ball work, and then you might go to the gym and do like, lift some weights or go to the pool and do some like kind of light kind of pool work. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was it wasn't it was hard pre-season because. Like I said, you would get up at four in the morning or earlier, sometimes earlier than that, and you'd go to the gym and lift weights for an hour, and then you would then go eat a breakfast, whatever, and then you'd before classes would start, you'd have like a kind of early afternoon training session where yeah. it would be then more like pre-season running. It'd be like your bleep test and that kind of stuff around noon, and then at like four or five o'clock at night, you would then go train again, and it'd be like some ball work, but it'd still be involving cardio. One thing I'll say about the US is they're very much fitness orientated. Me as a uh, goalkeeper, I fucking hate running. <laughs> Me and running just don't just don't mix. I mean, tracking mine back to so mind that time at Harmley Row, like Johnny Henry was in that fucking uh, run when Bella Houston, man. Right, so I can, I, I can agree st- with that I'm, point. I'm still I'm still scarred for that. <laughs> I still remember <laughs> that that day. <laughs> uh, I mean, that was but, absolutely mental. Two days before the cup final, and he fucking paps his own. It was like a seven mile run or something. At least, at least, and then fucking made us run up and down those stairs and all. Aye, um, but I think there was two things. I'm just mentioning Paul here because I was I'm wary he was. There was a question he wanted to ask. Until the end. 
Um, I do think I was going to ask as well, Andrew. See in terms of like, how big was the actual squad then? Like roughly in terms of, like of obviously the colleges you played, was like a kind of like twenty five man squad. You were in something like twenty five. For two the two out of three universities I was at, there was twenty five to thirty, and one of them had just over thirty players. Um, mm-hmm. But they they had a lot more money and they had like almost like a, they had a B team. And mm-hmm. they also had a league. They had a league of their own, where the B team would go and play other B, other B teams at universities. So you'd have your uh-huh. main team, who would play in like the national tournament and have a league, and then you'd have your B team who would just play in the league games, and it would be like a B league. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like your Bar- It's like your Barcelona B team. It's like that uh-huh. kind of concept. Um, yeah. See, in terms of that as well, like I know obviously when I played with you at Hamden Row, I can as you said, it's like I know we. All the boys at Hamden Row, we, we didn't go to school with them. It was just kind of us two first. But obviously you said, kind of over here, um, it's kind of like you're playing with your school pals. See, over there, was a, a lot of like personality clashes in the teams. Was, or was there people who you just thought, nah, that's normal. You would, you're, you're a teammate and you would get on with them on the pitch, but was there like kind of off the pitch times you thought, nah, I don't fancy that guy, man. He's not really my, my cup of tea or anything. Was there a lot of that? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's lots of that. You get people who put on like fake personalities to kind of fit in, and you can tell. And it's yeah, and there's yeah, there's a lot of the kind of personality clashes. Like I had a few, and there's just people you you're just not destined to get along with. It's just it's like for me, you can't, you can't like day, everybody. I think that's a good point because like at the end of the day, if you're in the football side of things, like you're all a team, you're there to get a result at the end of the day. But as you say, the you don't need to get on with all 25 boys in that squad. Like, the way I would see it is, like, as soon as you step on the park, you're all playing for each other. Like, you are all got a goal that you want to achieve as much as you can, but there's nothing wrong. Like, as soon as you step off that park, like, you don't, you don't need to like him there. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, I've, I've definitely had my few bust-ups with some, bro- some Brazilians. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. We'll see. They're a certain like, personality type. Uh, was there a lot of like foreigners like see in terms of did they was there a lot was how much I put this like did a lot of them speak English or was there quite a lot that kind of that any English wasn't really a first language or anything? Oh, there was a lot that English wasn't a first language. Like I had some people from the Bahamas, Brazil, Mexico, Paraguay, um, a lot of South Americans, um, but yeah. There's a whole selection of people. There's some South Africans that I've played with, but a lot of them will speak enough English to where you can understand them. Mm-hmm. But there were some that were very bad at English, and it was just like, right, okay, uh, you have very vague conversations with them. But they do, they do try. I will give them that. They do try to uh-huh. understand. There's not. See, I think that's what makes it good as well. Like, see if they're actually like, making an effort to fit in. Like, see if it's not even the first language, but they're actually. Like trying there, I, I can only like go off like my own experience like that week I spent with Liverpool. I think I stayed in the when we stayed in that hotel. I was I was staying in a room with a boy from Finland and the other boy was from Norway. No, they didn't speak great English, right? But it, it's weird how much you actually they go on with them. Like you did almost find like a common ground to actually talk about. Yeah, you can always, you can always have like, something. Yeah, I, like even on the pitch and, as yeah. well. Like I think with football, you don't need to be like. Like you don't all need to speak English. I think you just know when you're on a pitch, like what kind of guys 
they want to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, there's always going to be language barriers when you start playing with people from all around the world. It's, it's bound to happen, but mm-hmm. that's what training's for. If they don't speak great English, they'll pick up certain words that when you, like, say you want a ball played through, mm-hmm. they'll pick up on those certain words that you say, and then they'll eventually they'll click it. So every time you say that, they'll know what to do. So it's not... Uh, yeah, you, you just get to you get to know the person. Yeah, you don't get along with all of them, but that's it's bound to happen. It's like you're not going to like everybody you meet. It's, uh, but yeah, it's just a part of life. It's not even anything else about football. It's just that's just the way it is. Uh, but um, yeah. See, in terms, I'm like, was there boys in the in teams you have played who just thought they were like superstars and they just didn't really they didn't really have time for MDLs. They just, they were just didn't. Like, themselves basically yeah um, there's a couple there's one that springs to mind and I will not name him but he uh, <laughs> just name him mate just out him we don't uh, care man he he uh, he thought he was a lot better than what he was mm-hmm. he was very fit he was very fit and he could run all day he could run 25 miles and still be down to go to the pool and swim after it and then go for a jog later he's one of those like high fitness he could run a marathon without breaking a sweat Mm. Um, but his his football ability wasn't great and he thought he was a superstar and he didn't get a lot of game time and it was just like well he'd always complain that he wasn't playing and then his attitude would change in training his attitude wasn't great mm-hmm. and I do still keep in contact with him but I know he's been to like six or seven universities now still trying to find a team that he can actually get game time at and he just uh-huh. he's just not going to get it because He's looking for a higher and a higher level of playing it, but he's just not at that quality where he can play there, so he just sits on the bench. Or a, There's a term that they use, which is called a red shirt, which is basically when you go to the US, you're only eligible to play uh, football for four full years. So mm-hmm. after those four full years, you're no longer eligible to play under that league because you've used your four years. There's some exceptions, but for the most part, but say you break your ankle or break a hand or break a foot, whatever, mm-hmm. a week in, a month into the season, a week into the season, which did happen to a couple of the people on my team, you will then take a red shirt, which basically means you're still you're not eligible for that season, mm-hmm. but you will then get you still have that extra year. So it's not like a wasted year; you still have that year to play on. Aye. See, so it's the, called red shirting. Aye, there was a couple of points I was just going to touch on as well. Like, see, in terms of I was going to. I'll touch on the pitches uh, after this point. I'm going to make like see in terms of like the teams you played, the teams you played in and played against. Did all these teams kind of try and kind of stick themselves to like one style? Like kind of in terms of like they were a long ball team or they kind of passed the ball. But was there a lot of styles going on in Latin America? Yeah, you could tell because a lot of the managers were from Europe, so mm-hmm. they did have a lot of kind of European playing styles. But there was some teams where it was just like they humped the ball up the park and it's like, okay, we've got a guy who's six foot six, six foot seven up front. He'll mm-hmm. nod the ball down and then we'll play for there. We'll win our free kicks, we'll get that. Or you've got teams who've got a couple of really fast Mexicans on the wing and mm-hmm. you just can't catch them. So the only thing you do is just hold them down. Uh-huh. And they'll, they've got a lot of talk. They'll have like the really short, quick Mexicans on the wings and then they'll have really tall, big built players from the back in the midfield. They'll go mm-hmm. up for the free kicks and they'll win the ball in the air all day long. Uh, you have teams that are really big and physical and they've probably got 50, 60 to 100 pounds of weight on you and it's just uh-huh. like see in terms of like obviously with 
playing obviously like in Scotland, like I think we all know, like regardless of what level you play in Scotland, but it's amateurs, juniors, professional. Like Scotland's always fast paced and it's always physical. Was it like that over there? Like, was it more? Was it really physical over there? Um, the higher the level you go, obviously it's a lot quick. But the higher university I played at, the level was really, really quick to keep up with. Like the forwards and the wingers were unstoppable. They were just so quick. Uh-huh. Um, and you did have your typical centre back that would just go through a brick wall for you. Like, uh-huh. just didn't give a fuck. He would go through anything head first. Uh-huh. Um, and you don't always get that at junior level and at higher levels back home. Yeah, you would get that, but it's not your kind of everyday type stuff. Um, but yeah, there is a there is a big difference in level um, and their uh-huh. fitness side of things. A lot there's a lot more quicker players like off the ball. So you're always your your head's always moving, your eyes are always moving, trying to keep track of people because it's uh, so quick. Because what I was going to ask, well, you see, obviously, I think obviously playing Scotland, like sometimes it did feel to me like at a younger age they just went for kind of tall boys, and that was it. If you were tall, you played. Did, over yeah. there, like, does, is height a big? Is that a big uh, factor over there, or do they kind of just go for like te- off technical ability? Um. The coaches that aren't very good, yes, they'll go for height and they'll go for your weight. They want they want somebody who's like 180, 90 pounds and someone who's tall, six foot plus, who looks like they've got a bit of weight about them that can throw themselves about. They'll go off that before they really look at their skill. They'll see it as they, they'll think to themselves that they can train them to a level where they're good enough, but they want that physical side of them. They can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can put them in a gym, but are they going to get them to that physical level in the space of like four or five months? Probably not. So they would rather have someone who's already got that physical ability and a decent idea of how to play, and then they think that they can get them up to that level. But that's not always the case. But uh, the the better coaches will kind of is about a pick and mix. They know they know the type of players that they need and they know the type of players they want. And some of them have played pro or semi pro at some point in their life, so they all uh-huh. they do have an idea that height doesn't always mean everything. Weight doesn't always mean everything. But you could be five foot nothing and you could be one of the best players in the world or you could be six foot five right. and be a great player. It's just... Uh, just kind of depends on that, I suppose. Yeah. It depends on the coaching style and how well they've actually... They know the sport. Mm-hmm. Aye. See, and obviously, because uh, we'd both played behind the own, I think me and you both know how much of a fucking psychopath John Henry was. And I think <laughs> I touched, touched him in a previous podcast with Paul. I said that I, I almost liked his style coaching because see the way I play now he, it almost came for him almost yeah. fucking screaming at you and telling you to do things like he, he was screaming at you and not to be a dick like he almost wants you to do well see in terms of like coaches over there did, did you like somebody who was kind of hard on you or kind of somebody who was a bit more like standoffish a wee bit um oh well, I was a goalkeeper so regardless I always got stick <laughs> <laughs> the, oh, the ball slurred. The, the ball goes in the net, it's your fault regardless. It can fucking... Um, to let the postage stamp and it's in the co- top corner and it doesn't matter, it's still your fault. But, um, uh, yeah. It's it's a bit of give and take. Like, as long as there's some constructive criticism in there and they're not just shouting abuse at you, then, yeah, I think that's the way it should be. It'd be tough on mm-hmm. them, but at least give them something that they know that they can build on or they need to fix it. Uh, but... If you're just shouting abuse at them, then that's probably just going to put their confidence down, make them mad, pissed off, and they're probably not going to try as hard. It just depends on their mentality of a person, but mm-hmm. that'll affect that'll affect how somebody plays. Right. Um, 
but yeah. I See before that move like on the, the stricter kind of approach, though, I definitely like that idea because uh-huh. if you if you don't, I think you know where you stand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You give them you give them an inch to take a mile. So if you don't give them it to them, then they're they're right where you want them. So. Uh, um, so just before I move on to like the standard of pitches, like see, in terms of the coaches, like you've played under and the coaches you've seen, like from teams you've played against, do you think some of the coaches that like at those levels could potentially like coach at a higher level, like in terms of professional or in Europe? I wouldn't say in Europe, no, no, no. There's a, there's a couple of good coaches I've had, but I wouldn't say there's a coach that I, I had and he'd been at the national tournament countless times he'd won it a few times he'd been nationally ranked in the top 20 in the country um the top 10 as well um but mm-hmm. do i think he could make it it could probably be at a decent level in europe but i wouldn't say at a top level no all right so is that just as a coach or like i just a coach like helping a guy out yeah i i, I think that i don't know it's, it's, it's kind of hard to compare a college coach to a professional because mm-hmm. you don't see all the ins and outs of what these professional coaches go through in a day or a week. You oh, see what's true. in you see what's in the kind of the tabloids and what's in the news and what you get on Facebook and everything else, but you don't know that. I think they could cut it, maybe at a kind of lower level, maybe like a kind of lower championship team, possibly. But mm-hmm. I think they could manage a top top team, probably not, probably not. Uh, no, um, that's a good insight. That um, just moving on to the standard of pitches because I think. Fucking the Scottish football, we talk about the standard of pitches near enough every week in this podcast. Um, from pictures I've seen, I've seen some pitches like from American scholarships that look tip top, like some grass pitches. Then you see some good astro pitches, but then some pictures I see, like you just think to yourself, like I don't even know how they even kick a ball in that. Like what? What actually overall is the standard of pitch like over there? It it always comes down to the college you're playing, the type of money that they have back in them. Because each program, each sport has an allotted amount of money they can have for the year. Mm-hmm. So if your football team has X amount of money, well then they can afford to hire groundsmen. They can afford mm-hmm. to hire top quality professionals to maintain it each day, each week. Where they'll cut the grass once or twice a day, or once or twice a week, or they might only cut it once every month. But uh-huh. It just depends on what you can afford and what facilities you have. Because um, some of the teams I played against, they had it'd be like a bowling green. I remember uh-huh. one time I was in um, I was in Tennessee uh-huh. playing, and it was about eight hours away from here, and I had bus. And uh, it's one of the best pitches I've ever played on in my life. Uh, I'm pr- I'm pretty sure you could get one of those leveler sticks, and it would be fucking right in the middle. Like the whole way across the park. Uh, um, but the team, the team that they were though, they were absolute shit. They were a really bad. They were a really bad team. I think we beat them like six nothing or seven nothing. Uh, but the fa- the facilities they had were out of this world. But they were just weren't a good team. They just weren't a good team. I can see. I think it was that documentary I watched on Netflix. Uh, I think it's Last Chance You, the American kind of. I know we uh, like American football. They call it. Like some of the facilities I seen, they were like an absolute fucking joke. And I'm like that. If you compare that to like Scotland, it's like pure night and day. But see, obviously, just in the pitch as well, see some of the more technical players, like ones that wanted to bought their feet, did they struggle on pitches that weren't they, yeah. weren't they great at all? Yeah. Yeah, also as well, like where I'm at, there's a lot of, like, if we went into Kansas, mm-hmm. Kansas is known as like the Windy City. It's a flat, flat, flat state. 
So mm-hmm. you get a lot of really strong wins. So that uh-huh. kind of levels a, g- a game as well because you go from being a team that plays the ball on the ground to playing against a team that plays long balls. Mm-hmm. But for me, it put a lot of pressure on me because you'd you'd spend a lot of time with the coach focusing on me and the pre-team build-up because they're like, all they're going to do is kick this ball long. So you need to be uh-huh. on the edge of your box, ready to take this at your feet, your chest. You need to be able to mm-hmm. catch it right on the edge of the 18. Because all they're going to do is just fire that ball long and that wind's going to carry it fucking 40, 50 yards longer than it would be uh, if they weren't. So that, there was that as well. But um, I played against some pitches where it's at a fucking 45 degree angle on a hill and it's fucking. I've all played in fucking shocking but, pitches, man. But again, uh, those, those facilities barely even have a team. Like They don't have a big squad, they don't have a lot of money, they just don't have their kits and their tri- all the stuff they have just isn't good. Mm-hmm. So they're ba- they barely survive as a an institution. Never mind having all these extra like, facilities and stuff like that. So yeah, uh, it's always it's always it's always about money. It's always the case. It's always money. Right, it's always mo- football's just basically money driven these days, isn't it, man? That's, that's all people care about. Um, but just before we wrap up, cause I'm quite conscious of time as well. Um, what would you say your your kind of like in terms of the football scholarship you've been have all the years you've done it? What's the kind of highs and lows for you? Like, what would you say there? If you could pick any, a highs and lows. Um, probably when we had made it through the the round in the national tournament, was just you have a crowd of up to a thousand, couple of thousand people in a really nice stadium. You get cameras on you, a big build up to it. You drive three, four hours in a bus. It's just like the atmosphere, the build up to it, the week before you you train and stuff. It's like a more relaxed kind of happier camp rather than like. Mm-hmm trying to make it there well you've already made it to the national tournament now it's a case of like just go and enjoy yourself and play the game you know rather than uh-huh. all, all that extra kind of extra pressure of the coach being on your arse like 24-7 uh-huh. but he, they stand off a bit more that week it's uh-huh. more relaxed in training you do more fun like shooting drills rather than just like fitness and ball work it's like they'll do more shooting drills and they're trying to because all it could be is a matter of a goal or that shot outside the box that you wouldn't regularly take. Well, they'd start working on that kind of stuff just because uh, you don't know your you don't know your opponent. You could get through a couple of rounds and then come against that opponent that holds a really high line or holds a really low line. It's just, so it's a lot more the atmosphere is to build up to it because you start eating your coaches like splurge on stuff. They start taking you to restaurants they would never take you to uh, in the like, in the regular season because they want you to eat healthier. Whereas mm-hmm. they're taking you to like get pizza and let you drink whatever you want and uh, right. so it's staying in hotels it's it's, uh, it's just like the whole experience um, you know, so, so I'd probably say that's my high point mm-hmm. low point my low point was probably probably when I broke my hand I broke right. my hand and then that, that was pretty much the last time I played uh, right. at least college level um, and then my hand took too long to heal and then I'll didn't have a scholarship and then I ended up just staying with my education and finishing up my scholarship but mm-hmm. or finishing up my degree I should say. Um, uh-huh. So that was probably that was probably the lowest point I've had because uh, at that point I knew it was kind of all but over at that point. That was my last kind of chance to show myself and I was done mm-hmm. at that point. Uh-huh. Uh, but just to just to wrap up, um, what's your kind of overall for MD listening there? What's your kind of overall advice on people who would want to do a scholarship or people thinking about wanting to do it, what's your kind of overall advice to them? Um, definitely go ahead and do it. I wouldn't I wouldn't discourage anyone from doing it. Um, 
the people that I know have been out here successfully and the ones who went home early or didn't stay with it are usually ones who are in relationships. If you're in a relationship and you're planning on coming out here, you're mm-hmm. either going to lose a girlfriend or a boyfriend <laughs> or you're going to you're going to come home early. So, uh, and I know a few of those. Um, so make sure that's in order first, of course. Um, but mm-hmm. as the whole experience, you can you can't really compare it to anything, honestly, because it's nothing mm-hmm. like I've experienced. Obviously, you're going to have your highs and lows and all the other shit that comes along with it. Like, I've definitely had my lows and my highs, but, uh-huh. um, but yeah, I definitely wouldn't discourage anyone from the experience of it because it's a lot of it is like the movies and stuff you see with like the sports and stuff. It is, it is like that, but mm-hmm. um, there, is, there is obviously that. You need to realise that there is a reality to it as well. There is the hard work of school, the training. It's not just all parties and games. Like you can't just go party all the time and then celebrate after, and then uh, that's not how it, that's not how it works. At least not in any reality I lived in out here. I <laughs> <laughs> will no touching that. I wish. But, I wish. Um, but I mate, thanks for um, coming on and taking the time to talk to us. Oh, um, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It, it, it would have been nice to have Paul on it, but he his Wi-Fi is very fucking shite, so he pissed mm-hmm. off about twenty minutes in. Um, but I just thanks thanks a lot for coming on uh, to talk to us, and hopefully MD last then hopefully you've all enjoyed that and that's us for this week. We'll be back next week for a, for a brand new episode. <laughs>